This is the Converge Podcast. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at Heritage Baptist Church in the chapel. This is a group that is geared towards those who are young adults who want to follow Jesus and live the gospel life wherever the journey takes them. Good morning, everybody. We're going to go ahead and get things rolling here today. On time. You know, I'm going to see in a second if on time was a good idea, because Dave is actually in the IP right now for the DC Expo. So there's a chance that we do all this part too fast. And then uh, we're going to have to come up with something. Oh, you know what? Already, as I start this, Uh, I'm not connected to the display adapter. So just a second here. I'm glad I got everyone's attention right when I have nothing to say. There we go, that'll work. Okay, so I've got just a couple of uh, announcements for you today. Uh, As always, if you aren't getting our text messages and you wanna keep up with what's going on, Uh, Make sure and text at HB Converge to 81010, and then you get a couple of messages uh, from us each week reminding you like when and where small groups are and things that are going on. Um, Speaking of small groups, those reminders might be especially helpful this week because uh, we've got a new group going on Friday mornings at 6.30 a.m. at the Rays. 
specifically for juniors, seniors, young professionals, people that are kind of in a big transition or on their way out or on their way into a, a new field really soon. That's kind of the focus of this group specifically to, uh, to help out with uh, some of those questions and, and some of those uh, struggles coming up. And then of course, we're also still meeting on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. We've got two Tuesday groups and two Thursday groups just to get together and break down what's going on in here on Sundays. Uh, we're still working through this uh, Come and See series, looking specifically at the stories of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And uh, there's just so much to dig into in a lot of these uh, stories, and it's hard for us to do that in this kind of group setting. So I'd encourage you to, to dig in a little deeper, come join us on a Tuesday or a Thursday, where we can kind of get together in a smaller group and, uh, and talk that through. Um, for announcements for heritage things in general, I'd encourage you to check out the hub if you go to hbclynchburg.com slash hub, which is probably easier to type in than scanning the QR code, but there's both. So just in case, uh, if you want to see what announcements Heritage has, what things are coming up, if you, like me, are constantly late for the other service and don't actually see any of the announcements at the beginning, this is a really helpful resource. Like, for example, today, there is a business meeting at 11.45, so we're going to try to wrap up in here on time and then uh, we'll be able to, to get over there. If you want to see what's going on this season, if you are a member, if, uh, if you want to be part of what's happening, I'd encourage you to be there for that. Um, the women's Bible study uh, is starting up here soon. Um, there's a couple of different options for that, but the one that meets here at the church is uh, Tuesdays, 9.15 to 11.45 a.m., and that's running February 8th through April 5th. And you can go to hbclynchburg.com slash women for more information on that. And then also, if you are available in that time to provide child care for women that would like to go to the Bible study but uh, need, their, uh, need their children out of their hair to do that, um, you can uh, follow up with Heather Cook about that as well. So there's her phone number and her email address. And this can be a paid position on Tuesday mornings from uh, 915 to 1145, or it can be a... Uh, Caesar uh, as well. So I'll leave that up there for just another second since that's got uh, Heather's contact info on it. And then that's all I've really got for you guys today. So I'll go ahead and hand things over to Matt. Thank you very much. Yeah, give that man a hand. All right. Thanks, Terry. Good job. Thank you for that. That's nice. All right, we're going to do a little icebreaker here this morning, right? Have any of you guys played the game Heads Up? You've played that before. You know the game where you, like, hold the thing on your head. You can't see it. People have to give you clues. You try to guess what they're saying. We're getting some people that's, yeah, catching on. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I need two participants, one from each side. Somebody, yes, come on down. Come on down. One more. Who we, yeah, come on, come on. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to play. It's kind of like Heads Up, but it's going to be a race, right? This side against that side. So what I'll have you guys do, so... You have a card, right? I'm going to give you a stack. Each of you have 20 of them. They're pretty simple. It'll go fast. So you hold it up, right? Like this one says, these have it in English and French. We're inclusive. I'm not, even, even of the French. So it says basketball. I'm a basketball. And also, je suis un something else. So you hold it up. They shout clues at you. You guess. Once you get it right, drop the card. Go on to the next one. The first person to finish all 20, that side wins. Make sense? You're probably going to want to get kind of right down in here where more people can see or pick kind of a heavy spot there where more people are going to be able to see, all right? So here we go. 
Here's your 20. Don't look yet. You're just going to be able to pick that up right there. Wait. Here's your 20. I pick a spot with a bunch of people in it, so probably more down in that range down there. You good on the rules? You, you got what you're doing? I get right up so they can see it because it's kind of small. Are you good? They describe it. They give you clues without saying the word. So if you need to pack in a little bit more so you can see it, make that happen. I'm told we have great icebreaker music that's going to help make this a fun time. So are we ready? As soon as you get through your, those 20 and they're really simple, you're the winner, right? We good? We good? Everybody ready to help? Chip in and go for it. Icebreaker music anytime now. Shout it out. Shout it out. I haven't heard any French. This is taking actually longer than I expected it to take. Alright, we're going to give you one more minute. Whoever has the most is your winner. Twenty seconds. Ten seconds. Three, two, one. All right, stop. All right, stop. Got it. All right. Let's see. Count. Uh, but whoa, that was after the timer. That was after the timer. Pencils down. We, no, 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 no. All right, count up. Minus one for you. How many you got right? And we will declare a winner. How many did you get? You counting them up? Yeah, but I might have not given you all of them, so you better count them anyway. 11 on that side? We've got a winner right here. Congratulations, winner. I'll give you that bonus one so you have nine. Great job, everyone. Thanks for participating. Take it away. I did actually make it on time. I heard that Josh was panicking. Yeah? Was Josh panicking? A little bit. Uh, guys, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we can continue on in our study of Jesus stories in the book of John. All right, so if you want to find your place 
in John chapter 2 now, John chapter 2, then we are going to get started because I have the goal of ending early. A guy can wish, right? Okay, well, we've already talked about small groups. You know they happen. We're in our Come and See series, and, uh, and this is our trip through the book of John to talk about uh, what Jesus has done. And if you missed last week where we kind of set the stage on why we're calling it this or um, you know, exactly where we're coming from, then let me just give you the quick synopsis here. That in John chapter 1, we see Jesus begin to... Um, begin to call his disciples, right? Oh, actually, I almost forgot something. I wanted to have you guys meet Jeff and Lisa. So f- Jeff and Lisa, come on up. This is good. Jeff and Lisa were not able to be with us uh, last week when we introduced all the small groups. And this week, we're kicking off the Friday morning small group with Jeff and Lisa um, leading it in their home. And we wanted to emphasize this group in particular for those of you who are juniors, seniors, recent grads, young professionals, not exploring college right now, but kind of navigating the transition from adolescence into productive adulthood, right? And so uh, we wanted to have a time where, where we diligently, intentionally, seek God's face about where he wants to take you, right? Does anybody feel like you're facing decisions? A few of you, maybe, I see a nod or two, okay. Um, If you're not feeling it right now, look around, no. Um, (laughs) If you're not feeling it right now, you will. And so we we want to diligently and intentionally seek God's face about how he wants to direct you and use you uh, and, and Jeff and Lisa have um, offered their home to be the venue where we do that. So I wanted them to, to tell you a little bit about them, same as last week. And, and I'm going to have them do a toilet paper sculpture. Like, I'm kidding. I told them they didn't have to do that. Um, so Jeff and Lisa, it's all yours. All right. First of all, do us a favor. If you fit one of those categories he just mentioned, you're junior, you're senior, you're a young professional, you, you decided, I'm not going to college, I'm going straight into the workforce. Would you stand up? Because I'd like to see who you are. Okay. Well, that's good. Because we're sitting here saying, I didn't even know who to walk around and invite. So I'll extend a personal invitation now, kind of globally. And then uh, we'll try and catch some of you guys along the way. But we'd love to have you come join us. Uh, we're excited. A few of us got together this last Friday morning and, uh, and talked about it and had a time of prayer. And really what we want to do is not so much have an agenda coming into this, but to hear what you guys are struggling with or the things that you're facing and uh, kind of tailor things and really spend most of the time in prayer and, uh, and talking about 
uh, you know, how we can, we can help uh, or at least give advice or, or whatever that may be um, as you're heading into some of those decisions. So we're looking forward to it. I'll let you got anything to say? <laughs> Are we supposed to say anything else? Are we supposed to? Interesting fact about Interesting it. fact. So mine's a little more boring than Le what Lisa's will be, but we, we are made for each other. So um, I was trying to figure out what it was and what to share, and Lisa said this morning, you know what you can share? Our birthdays. So my birthday is December the 3rd, 12-3. Lisa's birthday, take a guess what it is? March 12th. She's 3-12, so it's really easy for us to remember each other. So that's an interesting little fact about us, and I'll let you share your fun story. I was attacked by monkeys in India. <laughs> that's all I got. Say, so I think we need to hear that one again slower. We were on a missions trip to India, and I don't know where you were. You weren't with me. Um, we were touring this. I was working or teaching yes, or doing something while you were playing. We were touring a fort, and I got out some peanut butter crackers, and you should never do that when you're in India around monkeys, because all of a sudden they were jumping out of the trees and landing on my back, and I threw my backpack down, and they like went through it and got all the food out and read my journal. And, um, yeah. And you just found out about it later, so. <laughs> All right, I can't top that one. No. <laughs> All right, well, I just found out something, too, that Lisa and I have the same birthday. Oh. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. I almost conquered. Now it's not working at all. Uh, I'm having the worst technical difficulty with you guys recently so I even tested this yesterday to make sure that I would get it right so um, we're in John chapter 1 can we just not even worry about it um, John chapter 1 and then we're going to go into John chapter 2 you can put this um, you can put this just on a blank slide if you don't mind Seth all right um, Last week when we were opening up the, the book of John, we said that John chapter 1 starts off like the overture to an opera or to the, or the entryway into the theater. As you're going in and you're, and you're seeing some glimpses of, of what's to come, you're getting an idea of kind of the trajectory of the storyline. And in John chapter 1, we saw some of that with with the big picture of what Jesus had to offer when as he's coming and that he is God and that he came as it specifically says to um, to show his glory and to offer us grace upon grace as he lives out this ministry that we see recorded in the rest of the book of John and then we got to the end of John chapter 1 and we saw a um, we saw Jesus begin to call his disciples. We skipped over part of it, actually, and got to where Philip found Jesus and then goes to get Nathaniel. And what Philip said to Nathaniel was, we found the Messiah that we've been looking for. And Nathaniel's kind of skeptical, okay? And Nathaniel even responds to some of what Philip's saying as, how can that even be? Because Philip says he's from Nazareth. 
And Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like this backwater town way out in the sticks. I mean, like how can something good come from Nazareth? And Philip just looks at him and says, just come and see. So we understand that primarily these encounters with Jesus are things that we need. We need to understand Jesus well. We need to have our own encounters with Jesus that that change us. And even as we read through the book of John together, as we go through these stories of Jesus, acts, and his statements through the book of John, we need to be changed by what we see in Jesus. And that seeing Jesus will even reinforce the things that we talked about all last semester about our identity in Jesus as we understand him better. But then also, we want to be equipped to go from here and tell others, come and see this Jesus that has changed me. So now we're going to make it into chapter 2. We're not going to go very far. We're going to go 12 verses. So if you want to join me in John chapter 2, we're going to read for the first 12 verses. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did in Cana at Galilee. Excuse me. This, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. All right. First things that you see in this passage, you might have some questions. You might have things that stand out. I'm going to try to talk through a couple of these things. And and to be honest with you, there's a couple of areas in here where... I feel like I don't have a solid conclusion because the really smart guys that I ask about this or that I read about this, they don't agree, all right? So we're going to talk about a couple of things, and, and we're going we're gonna to see some of, the, some of the things revealed in the text and, and maybe try to understand what they're, what they're really giving us as far as context. But the things that we have, might walk away with still having questions are not the core of this discussion, all right? So walk with me through some of this, and, and then... And then we'll pinpoint some of the key parts, the, the central 
key elements of this text that we want to walk away with, okay? Um, so we see that on the third day there was a wedding in Galilee, which means to tell us that, that this event that we're about to read is probably all within the same week of what we read last week, okay? So there, were, there was this day and then this day and then this day last week in chapter 1, and now the third day after that, Jesus and his disciples head to Cana for a wedding, all right? We don't know exactly when the invitation came, you know, I mean, whether they showed up in Cana and then it was a wedding and so we went, but, but his mom's there, okay? And so it's evident probably that there's some family relationship between the bridegroom and Jesus' family, and so that's probably why they're there. Now, why did the, why did the disciples become wedding crashers? I'm not really sure, except that it was a big party, weddings in the ancient Near East were a big party, sometimes lasting up to a week. And that through this big event, okay, if you, if you think of ancient Near East tradition with, um, with a long betrothal period where legally speaking there's commitment, but there's no actual consummation of the marriage, and so now they, they come, they're coming together, okay? And in this, um, in this situation, where these days a lot of the wedding uh, rests, the wedding cost rests on the bride's family, right? Grooms kind of get away pretty um, easy. I mean, you can do it up, all right? If, you, if you're either looking at those possibilities or you've experienced it yourself, maybe a sibling has gotten married, you, you, can, you can do it up, and it can cost some for the groom's side, but, but not nearly as much as for the bride's side, which scares me just a little bit as I have two girls and only one boy. Uh, that we haven't started any savings accounts for that yet. But nevertheless, in ancient Near East culture, this week-long wedding party was on the groom. Okay? So if Jesus and his family, Mary included, are invited to this wedding feast and it's on the groom and maybe that's who they're related to, we begin to see why Mary might care that they ran out of wine. Okay? Now, I don't know at what point they are in the wedding feast, you know, this week-long party. But if you're thinking it's multiple days, and they're even only halfway through, and they're out of wine, then they're facing some issues for the rest of the week. Right? It's a big party. Well, if you, I have a little trouble with this. And so I'll just admit to you that that this doesn't really rise to the level of like blind man receiving sight, right? Or dead man walking again. I, I just this gateway miracle of Jesus extending the party seems I don't know just not quite to fit on the scale of some other miracles that he's done. Nevertheless, here, here is some of the contextual information that might give us a little more understanding as to why this could be really big. Uh, the ancient Near East is an honor and shame type of culture. Okay? So what, what you know of that and how, how you understand that, um, it's probably kind of foreign to you. 
unless maybe you've grown up in a context that's like that, it's pretty foreign to me, but that, that the shame that would come on the family by in, extending an invitation to a week-long party and then running out of the goods would be pretty extensive. So shame and the effect of shame on that, uh, on that family would be potentially significant. In addition, it could go so far as the bride's family feeling like they were cheated out of the wedding feast experience. Um, a couple of commentators suggested that it could even go to like lawsuit level, that, that here they are expecting this in exchange for the bride coming to the bridegroom and they're disappointed. I don't know if it would go that far. This is a couple of people smarter than me saying that that could be that could be the extent to which it went. And so in either case, whether it's just purely a shame thing in a culture that values honor and shame, or whether it's lawsuit prevention, there is some cultural significance to the fact that they were running out of wine. The party was not going to be able to be the same. And so G, uh, Mary went to Jesus and simply said, they don't have any wine. Okay, now, was she suggesting something at that point? You know, is this a, an understood request on her behalf? Uh, we don't have any wine. They don't have any wine, so you need to fix it. That's not what it says, but is that what's implied? Is it purely informative? And she's just saying, man, I just went to get, they're out. It's hard to read that in the text, okay? Doesn't matter 100%, but, but we, I don't know, if you're like me, then you've probably read this with some nuanced emotion in there for, you know, what does this, how does this, how do I feel like this went? So Jesus responds to her, woman, and all of a sudden we're like, wait a second, <laughs> what's this relationship like, <laughs> Right? Uh, woman, what does this have to do with me? I want to say, first of all, Jesus was not being insensitive to his mother. This title, woman, was, uh, while, it, while it lacked the intimacy of mother, a mother title, um, it was not culturally insensitive. In fact, a lot of, um, it was culturally distant, but not culturally insensitive. Does that make sense? In fact, it's, it's been compared by, uh, by some commentators to our use in the South here of ma'am. Okay? So while I grew up saying yes, ma'am, to my mom, it's not the intimate feeling title, right? And in fact, I could say that to anybody. And if you're around me long enough, if even though you are probably younger than me, I will at some point say to you young ladies, yes, ma'am, right? It's just, it's kind of formal. It's just how I talk, right? And, and yet, it's not insensitive unless you're talking to somebody from like up north or something. <laughs> then, then it comes across as insensitive. And we don't mean it that way, I promise, okay? But that's, that's as close as we can probably get. It would be kind of like, um, Jesus just saying to his mom, ma'am, this does not apply to me. 
okay? Now, the Greek language here is a little obscure. Can you guys deal with a little bit of Greek this morning? Okay, a little bit of Greek. We're not going to go deep into it. The, the Greek language here is a little bit obscure. The, the technical translation of what we read, woman, what does this have to do with me? The technical translation is, what to me and to you, woman? What to me and to you, woman? It, woman being, you know, not insensitive. What to me and to you? There are six places in the New Testament that this phrasing is used. Five of them are demons talking to Jesus about what, what do you have to do with me? Just leave us alone. It was a distancing kind of language. The sixth one is this one with Jesus talking to his mom. Don't compare demons and his mom. Okay? But let's compare the distancing language that's happening there. Okay? So if you think of, of demons that are being eventually cast out of people saying, hey, what, we don't need to have anything going on here, Jesus, right? We just, just let us be. We're, we're doing our thing. You do your thing. Let's leave it at that. That's kind of the idea that it has in those passages. So we want to sort of put that idea onto this passage. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just stay in our lanes, right? is kind of the way we want to translate that with, with that kind of language. There's a lot more places in the Old Testament, though not in Greek, in Hebrew, a similar, a similar idiom uh, used that has a lot more variety in how it's used. So in the New Testament, it's pretty, um, it's pretty directly related to this distancing language that we see in a, in a demon trying to get away with what he's doing when Jesus comes on the scene. Um, one commentator who uh, I, th I think makes a good argument for it um, gives a little bit different twist on this encounter with Jesus and his mom that I want to offer to you. Uh, and then, and then we'll, we'll kind of get back into what the ESV here has translated it. But um, this commentator, you, you have to combine this phrase, what, what does this have to do with me and my hour has not yet come. You have to talk, it's, it is one um, conversation with Jesus and his mom, but, but you have to combine the two and, and see how this, how this works together. So bear with me for just a second. This phrasing could be more like, um, what, is, what is this small, if we put some extra words in, what is this small thing to us? Okay, so Jesus is anticipating some of the major things like bringing somebody back to life or restoring the sight of a blind man or feeding 5,000 people, right? So Jesus is anticipating some of those things happening. And so you could, you could shade this conversation to say, well, what is this big thing? My time hasn't yet come. I got time, I got time for this. This isn't that big of a deal. This isn't a, a big one that we have to worry about. I've got time. We can work through this. I'll take care of it. Okay? So you could kind of see that going there. You could, you could read it that way. Um, and, and in fact, that my hour has not yet come, you do really need to um, see that typical use of that hour conversation is talking about 
the time of his uh, crucifixion at the end of his life. So I think it makes a lot of sense, except that the general usage of this phrase isn't really along those lines. Okay, But I think you could see it that way here. Generally speaking, people go more like um, a, that distancing talk where Jesus is saying to his mother for clarification that she's not going to be calling the shots in his ministry. Now, I think that Mary has some credibility in scripture, right? And, and yet she is very much human and has seen Jesus in 30 years of life as a son and Jesus, this is the outset of his ministry. And Jesus is more or less saying, my timetable is God's timetable. And so it's no longer your turn to call the shots for me. And so that distancing language, whoa, let's just stay in our, in our own lanes. Let's do what we're here to do. And you see Mary maybe changing from this familial type of reaching out to Jesus to see what he might do in this situation. Uh, and Jesus saying, okay, just take a step back on this. To then, Mary relates a little bit more in, um, in seeking the authority and ministry of Jesus when she acts in faith. No longer, no longer kind of playing that mother card, but now playing a, a woman under the authority of Jesus Christ acting in faith when she simply looks at the servants who are around and says, just do whatever he says. So maybe that's, maybe that's more the, the thing that's going on here is an interaction between between Jesus and his earthly mother that's establishing a pattern for the rest of this ministry. And, and it even goes then to the less familial conversation of him saying woman instead of mom or mother. Either way, it's not the main focus or thrust of this passage. The main focus is that Jesus does turn and actually do something miraculous. And again, it's not at the imperative level of restoring life to, to a dead person. In fact, you might even argue that it's just plain beneficial to the group, right? And if we go back to chapter 1, I think that what we're going to see is that that's part of what Jesus came to do, to give grace upon grace. And we could look at our own lives, and we could see that so much of what God has done in our lives through the work of Jesus goes beyond bare necessity and goes into life in an abundant form. Because that's what Jesus also says he came to give. John chapter 10, verse 10. That I came to give life abundantly. And we get confused by that sometimes. That, that we think if we're going to 
to submit to the work of Christ in our lives and we're going to buy into following him that we are settling for some monastic type of lifestyle, right? That we're, we're ridding ourselves of pleasure and only business for the rest of, of our lives. And I just don't think that that's what Jesus has designed for us. In fact, just going to the wedding is an indication that Jesus brought more than a monastic type of lifestyle. That there's some party in him. Okay? And that and that then to extend that party as a as a, an extra grace to the people that are there uh, is an indicator of Jesus bringing life in an abundant form for you. And so maybe, you know, maybe we face this kind of of passage and we need to see that our perception, our fabricated image of Jesus is faulty. And that life is not drudgery in Jesus, but that it's abundant. So he goes on and it's there's some really interesting things here that there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification and whether that's convenience that they're big and they're present or whether Jesus is making a statement about um, the purification rites of Judaism that are now going to be overhauled by the purification of the blood of the lamb. That'll preach, but it's not really there, right? I mean, that's not necessarily stated there. Uh, that he uses these jars because it makes a point. It just says he used those jars. So let me just give you some things to chew on a little bit, okay? So he uses these six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And, and if your math is good, then you see a lot of water there, right? 120 gallons at the minimum. That's a lot of wine. Okay. days of wine for a group and and it's thought that usually the wine would be cut with water so that it would so it would be less um, alcoholic than what you might see off the shelf here in in the states today so and used to help purify water but also it would extend longer and and so there's there's different talks about exactly how it would get served but that there was a lot of wine there. And not only would there be a lot of wine for the party, but at 120 plus gallons of wine, you're probably talking about a nice wedding gift to the couple as well, right? That there'd be some left over. So he says, fill the jars with water and they fill them up to the brim. There was not a possibility. If the water was filled up to the brim, there was not the possibility that there was any hidden process going behind the scenes it simply was water filled all the way to the top followed by simply dipping out some of that water that as it between the time that it filled the jar and was presented to the MC of the wedding feast it was wine and not just wine it was good wine as the wedding feast MC makes a big deal about right so Jesus did a miracle, and we wonder, okay, exactly why he did this miracle. But there are some things about the work of Jesus 
in the lives of people that we can see here. That not everything is bare necessity. That there's an abundant life in Christ. I think we see the decision of Jesus to be on mission and to make that kind of clear, even with his own mother, to make a statement about um, this is this is not your call anymore. And Jesus Jesus makes that fairly declarative to his mother in the way that he responds. If you go in the you know the kind of distancing language that we talked about, there's a time where um, some of you you may actually face something like that. Okay, and not to um, over spiritualize this interaction with Jesus, but I think there's something applicable to to you guys in that sense that that there's an awkwardness at some point in this transfer from adolescence to adulthood where. Um, your relationship with your parents change and you are not Jesus and they are not God okay but nevertheless there is that um, that interaction that changes and so navigating some of those responses you know what are you going to do when when you feel clearly like God is taking you in a particular direction and parents stand in the way of that whether they actually physically stand in the way and put restrictions on you or they or they share their opinion in such a way that that is um, against what you really feel like God is directing you to and again while that's not the point of this passage I think it is applicable to to you guys in uh, at least some of you in how you navigate some of those conversations as you as you move from under their authority to on your own. I wouldn't necessarily advocate just going back home and looking at your mom and saying, woman, <laughs> it's a different day these days, okay? I wouldn't do that. But maybe ma'am, ma'am could be a good opportunity. Um, I've got some, some thoughts for us to discuss as we, uh, as we get towards the end. I'm going to try one more time to um, put this on the screen because I've got some questions for us to talk about. Um, if I can get it up there, then I'll probably have to change it again. Tech support's coming in. I see it. Josh, I really tried. I really did. Okay, here we go. All right, I got it. I got it. Not the way I want it, but I got it up. Um, at the end of this passage, we read that this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. This is what Jesus was doing. There's a series of about eight major signs in the book of John where Jesus is demonstrating his authority as deity, as the son of God. And in this case, while, while in fact the circles were kind of small because this wasn't a big public demonstration by Jesus in front of the wedding crowd. This, the only people that knew were his mom, that something happened, 
the servants that were serving the wine and the disciples because they they seem to talk about it or you know understand it from reading here right and they believed because of it so they they knew something but jesus does these things to declaratively state that he is god that he is the son of god there to be the messiah sent to reconcile the world to god and so he does these signs to manifest his own glory yes it it helped the people right maybe it it kept them from some shame in their family maybe it kept them from a lawsuit maybe but it was ultimately for his own glory so even in the way that god works in your life the changes that jesus effects in your life is for his own glory and that we might believe in him as you go through life as you kind of look back on how God has worked we need to give God the glory for his actions in our lives and we need to tell of these stories so that we and others believe in him because of it here's some questions that we can talk about um, today and also uh, this week in um, in our small groups how have you seen Jesus take something ordinary and make it extraordinary Jesus took water and turned it to wine Okay? This wasn't the only time that, that he took something ordinary and made it extraordinary. He took five loaves and two fish and made it a feast for 5,000 people. So he took something ordinary and made it extraordinary. He does the same thing in your life because he's come to give life more abundant. How have you seen Jesus give life abundantly in your, in your own experience? Or maybe in the experience of people that you've watched. You, maybe, you're, maybe you're sitting here and you're kind of actually longing for that time in your life where Jesus does something that's undeniable and, and you can look back on it and, and spend that time reflecting later on what Jesus has done and maybe it inspires you for the future, but right now you're stuck with the stories that have happened to other people. And so I would still rehearse those to yourself. The actions that Jesus has done in somebody else's life and, and then trust him that he's He's working in your life, too. Sometimes we're blinded by our proximity to our own life. Do you ever find yourself in that, in that state? It's that, it's that same term as the grass is always greener on the other side. We're blinded by our own proximity to what we're experiencing. So maybe allow yourself even to step back and look into your life, almost in a third-party sort of way, to be able to see the abundant work of Jesus in your life. Well, that was weird, right? Now the first one's up. Just out of curiosity and to spark conversation, how do you think the interaction between Jesus and Mary went? I play it out a little bit. We don't have that certainty in exactly how that went. But what we do see is, is Jesus taking a step back just a little bit, but then eventually coming around. It's not the only time either. In the, in the way Jesus has acted where there's appearing to be some hesitation in exactly uh, what Jesus is going to do, that he doesn't necessarily seem to say he's going to do it, and then, and then to come around and do it. Ultimately, I think the truth is Jesus 
knows what he's going to do. Um, and maybe we need to and they need to process that a little bit. Lastly, for what type of person is this good news? Is it the person who, um, who feels like life is a drudgery? Religiously speaking, that they're just stuck in a religious loop and that that's not the life that Jesus has promised, but rather life more abundant. Maybe it's the, the person who's just not seeing um, when the normal is changed into the extraordinary in their lives. And you can, you can take them to this experience and, uh, of Jesus and, and tell them, he's doing it in your life too. You're not recognizing it, but it's happening. But, but process that. What type of person is this good news and why? And remember that every time we ask that question, primarily, that's us. Right? This is good news for you. And understand why. Why this is included in the record of Jesus' life so that we can benefit from it. Um, I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to let Josh come and, and kind of navigate maybe some of these questions in a large group setting or, or give you some time to, um, to talk through it a little bit. We're having a, a DC Expo in the IP. So I'm out there with Megan. We're inviting more people to come to Converge. That'd be good, right? We'll put up some more seats and, and invite more people to come. Um, after that, at 1145, there's a church business meeting. If you've been a part of business meetings at other churches, I would encourage you to just come and see what happens in a business meeting at Heritage. It's a good family meeting. Um, also, there are some exciting announcements that are going to be made as far as the future of, of Heritage is concerned and even the future of Converge, actually. So um, so maybe come and see what's going Come and see. Look at that. Um, <laughs> come and see what's going on. All right. So... Let me pray. I, di I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. Um, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll transition a little bit. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word and how you have unveiled some of the things that have happened in Jesus' life and ministry on this earth. And, Father, as we um, spend some time reflecting on this interesting encounter with Jesus and, and Mary and then Jesus making this um, miraculous uh, event at the wedding take place by changing water into wine and understanding exactly what, um, what this means for us. Father, I pray that you would, uh, that your Holy Spirit would unveil our eyes to understand better the gospel and the grace upon grace that is extended to us because of Jesus. And Father, we would be able to then bring you glory, that we would glorify the name of Jesus, that we would exalt you high above everything else in our lives, and that, and that Father, we would believe, deeply believe, and that it would change how we interact with those people around us, and that we could then say, come and see this Jesus that's made all the difference. We love you, and thank you for the day you've given, in Jesus' name. So I don't know about you guys, but hearing this story and thinking specifically about who this is good news for, like this seems like from our perspective, from this far withdrawn from this story, that this is such a, 
I mean, you don't want to say pointless. But what is the point of this? What is the point of this miracle? What's Jesus doing by stepping in here? But I love this in contrast to the last story that we talked about. The last thing that Jesus did uh, when, when we were talking about it last week was he specifically said to someone who wasn't sure about him, I, uh, I saw you earlier when you were under that tree. And he did that for the same reason that he did this. And we can see that at the, the end of the, the passage. It says that Jesus did this miracle, and then because of this miracle, his disciples saw this and believed. We don't necessarily see that for the rest of the party guests. We don't see that for everybody that's there. But what we do see is Jesus, who, who is God and who is here in human form and who is here to help us understand him while, to help us understand God, to build this relationship while he goes through his ministry, he specifically takes time out to do these things for the people around him. And while doing this, he's also fulfilling the request of his mother. I do think it's kind of funny that he says, what's this have to do with me? And then Mary just immediately turns to the people around her and says, do whatever he tells you. Like, doesn't really matter what you said. I, I tuned out a minute ago. I know you're going to do something here. So I love that Jesus is able to use this to build the faith of the people around him. And there have to have been people at that party that see this as well. It specifically mentions that the servants knew that this is what he was doing, even though the master of the ceremony didn't. And then I also think it's enheartening to hear, man, have you ever said a pointless prayer? Have you ever asked for something that you did not have a kingdom justification for? It's like, God, I really, I really want this. I really need you to step in here. Um, and I can't help but feel, even as I ask, that it should be beneath your notice. And honestly, maybe it should be beneath mine. But at the same time, just going to God, going to the king and saying, this is what I need from you right now. And it is amazing to see Jesus hearing those things. And I think we see later on in Jesus' ministry, you know, we get the example of, uh, you know, who, what kind of father, when your child asks you for, uh, for a fish, will give you a snake. When they ask you for bread, it'll give you a stone. And I think we get used to this relationship that we have with God, where he is our father, and he does love us, and he cares for things that we would think should be beneath his notice. So I just love the, the heart that we see of our God right there. So um, just, we've got a, a couple of minutes to wrap this up, and I think it'd be good to talk to some of the people around you and maybe talk through some of these prayer requests, something that maybe you've asked for God at a time that, uh, that just seemed completely ridiculous or the ways that you've seen God step in in something that you thought might have been meaningless and then still see the, the creator of heaven and earth intervene in your life to, to make something better. So uh, just with a, a couple of people around you, let's have that conversation for a couple of minutes, and then I'll uh, wrap us up here in prayer in a minute.
Got to be done here in just a second. So I'll go ahead and uh, formally close our time here. Um, and I made sure not to step on any of Dave's questions. So you know what we'll be talking about on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I encourage you to make it out to one of those if you can. And uh, yeah, I just, I think it's, it's amazing to see this side of Jesus, the side of Jesus that, that cares about us. Um, the, the, we know that he cares about us, but it's amazing to see it in, in these little things uh, as well as in all the big things. So, dear God, thank you for this example that you've done all throughout scripture. You constantly uh, take the time to show us your heart and, uh, and show us how to operate and show us what your character is. And God, I pray that reflecting on this, I pray that we would, that we would use this example, that we would bring this to mind, that we would come to you in prayer more, that we would spend more time uh, casting our cares on you. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to, uh, to realize that that's what you want us to do, to, to, to take those things to you big and small. Thank you for all of the ways that you're working, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, the business meeting is going to start in uh, 15 minutes over in the main uh, sanctuary. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you would like to get plugged into a small group, just text HB Converge to 81010 and you will get the text reminders for all the small groups. If you have any questions, just respond to one of those text reminders and it will go to our leadership team and they will be able to respond to you directly.